implantable defibrillators, medical issue, or social issue. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Adrian Hernandez. Dr. Hernandez is a cardiologist at the Duke Clinical Research Institute and assistant professor of medicine at the Duke University School of Medicine. He is an author of two recent papers in JAMA, providing important information on who is and who is not receiving ICDs. Dr. Hernandez comes to us today from his office in Durham, North Carolina. Adrian, thanks for uh, being with us today. We appreciate your time. Great to be here. And maybe we could start with just a little bit about your medical background and how you came to be passionate about this issue. Sure. So I'm a a heart failure cardiologist and take care of patients who are at risk of sudden death. We have noticed that sometimes as the patients who are referred to are potentially at risk for uh, sudden death and do not have defibrillators. And we also have noticed over the last 10, 20 years that with new emerging therapies or technologies, that certain patient groups do not receive them equally compared to white men. And therefore, that's why we undertook this study to look and see whether a new technology is being used broadly across different groups. Tell us just a little bit about the structure and the design of the two studies and what you found out. So there are two studies. Uh, One uh, used uh, Medicare claims or uh, bills uh, to look at use of ICD therapy in patients who have heart failure across the U.S. This provides somewhat an overview of all the care of heart failure patients. The second one was uh, used a Get With the Guidelines registry sponsored by the American Heart Association. And this looked at detailed information from about 220 hospitals regarding care of heart failure patients and use of ICDs. What did you find? In both, we found that women are much less likely than men to get an ICD. In the Medicare data, we can look at actually patients who've actually had so-called sudden death or lethal arrhythmias, and we can also look at uh, patients who have heart failure. And again, with the guideline study, we can look at patients who have heart failure and ejection fractions less than 30%. Again, the message was consistent women are far less likely to receive a defibrillator than others. The editorial that accompanied your paper suggested that one might look at the reasons on a couple of different levels, from the patient to the doctor, the hospital. How do you personally see it? Regarding the patient level, there you know, may be differences in terms of how patients perceive ICDs and are, comply with our consent to having an ICD placed. And again, with a guidelines paper, we can actually look and see whether there's differences in terms of reasons that um, patients may or may not uh, choose to uh, have a defibrillator. And we didn't see anything there, but that's just the first step. There may be things regarding physicians where physicians may perceive higher risk for one group or another. And then thirdly is whether there's differences in terms of systems of care, insurance, what have you, in terms of treating one group or the other. Any thoughts about uh, which are the important players here? I mean, there's probably, you know, as usual, multiple factors in place. I think one probably important thing is that uh, women may not recognize that heart disease is the leading cause of death for them. That in contrast to awareness for breast cancer, there may not be that level of awareness for women. And uh, they may be less aggressive in terms of seeking uh, care here. 
in the hospitals? Do they need to do uh, maybe a different job in terms of, or maybe the physicians and the hospitals together do a different job in terms of uh, awareness and promotion? How would one do that? I mean, right. So again, it's promoting awareness at all levels, and it can't just be with cardiologists. It has to be with the physicians that take care of these patients on an everyday basis. Data shows that nearly uh, two-thirds of patients with heart failure are primarily taken care of by general physicians, family practitioners, uh, primary care, and do not see cardiologists. So that's one important step. Well, I know that the purpose of your study, and certainly the, the sound bites we get as to the conclusions, have to do with who got what and who didn't get what. But I think a, a sort of a related question is, did it matter? Did it matter in the outcomes? Could you address that? Yeah, that's a very uh, hot topic these days. So we have an, a therapy that's expensive. The clinical trials have shown it's uh, effective in terms of the groups they studied. But with uh, clinical trials, there are often groups that are not studied as well. And a great question is, is it as effective in women versus men or blacks versus whites? We have to do more work in that area to try to understand that. Currently, we can't say that there's any differences, and the guidelines don't say there are any differences in terms of outcomes. It may just as well be that as fewer women are getting maybe too many men are getting it. You know, the debate that was in a way, started with the editorial there. And uh, I think if you look at the best data, which comes from the clinical trial data, it's clear that defibrillators are effective. But in groups that may be understudied, so those who are much older than the studies, there are still remaining questions there. If you are just joining us, you're listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157 the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Adrian Hernandez, and we're discussing whether the implantation of ICDs is a medical and or a social issue. So, Adrian, we talked uh, just briefly about outcomes, and I know that wasn't necessarily the intent of the study, but did you get any inkling, not just about clinical outcomes, but uh, let's say also quality of life of people that received the intervention? Any thoughts about how that's looking to be in the future? I guess one has to remember that defibrillators are like 9-1 in your chest. Uh, so if you have your fire department that uh, lives next door but you never use it, would it potentially affect your quality of life? And the answer is, you know, may make you feel comfortable, but uh, it may not have a major impact. And so with that regard, defibrillators are, are no different, and that's, it's there for your safety in those patients who are high risk. And so it doesn't necessarily make you feel better but it can make you more secure if you were to have a lethal arrhythmia. So, you know, the questions regarding quality of life, I think, have to be compared to other therapies. You can't actually ask that question in someone who dies suddenly. It's a tough area to really look at. It's interesting you mentioned about the security thing. I suspect you've talked to a lot of people who are have an implanted uh, defibrillator and uh, have seen a spectrum of reactions to that device. Uh, do people ever ask that they uh, be taken out or they be reassured or they are they afraid of them? I mean, what do you see in your patients? Yeah, so, I mean, certainly there are two profiles of patients. So the ones that the defibrillator goes off and then they realize, whoa, that saved my life. And then the other is maybe a patient who has uh, frequent arrhythmias and it goes off and shocks them for arrhythmias that it may not necessarily need to or arrhythmias that 
happen so calmly that they're frequently getting shocked. And those patients sometimes ask, you know, what can they do about it? Can they turn it off? And then they worry and stress and they're anxious about when's the next time it's going to shock them. That's a two-sided sword for sure. This article um, was published a few weeks ago in JAMA. Have you had any feedback, either negative or positive, from your colleagues or from maybe even from people you don't know that were surprised at the results or had suggestions for you for the future? What's the reaction been? The general reaction was that people were shocked that uh, since the mid-1990s, there have been great efforts from Institute of Medicine, uh, government agencies, professional societies, to recognize that there are disparities in care and that uh, these need to be closed. And so people are pretty surprised that over the last 10 or 12 years that yet again we see another example where this exists. Any future work that you and your teams are uh, thinking about in terms of research in this area? One uh, to follow up is uh, we want to examine uh, what, in more detail, what causes the differences between receipt of uh, defibrillator for men and women. So doing studies specifically, understanding why, say, men may get it more often than women and their care providers. The second thing is uh, related to your other question earlier regarding what's the effectiveness for defibrillators. And so we want to look in those patients who receive them as well as who don't, who may be eligible or should. Are there differences in their outcomes? So the bottom line is, does it matter? And so that's what we're working on right now as well. As a cardiologist, is this going to change the way you do your business or the way you interact with your, say, residents or fellows? In my personal practice, it always causes me to take an extra second and pause and make sure that for women who have heart disease or heart failure that we're giving everything that they possibly should get. And uh, we illustrate this point often with our medical students, health staff, and fellows um, that even though they may not realize it, that we often see examples in our own practice or hospital that uh, there that there are differences in how to close that. Yeah, this seems to me to be a perfect example of research that could be brought right to the bedside. So I think that's going to be great. Let me ask you this: You are I asked you as a cardiologist. Let's make you a policymaker for a second, or a politician. And anything you think that are there social issues, political issues that uh, you kick around in your brain sometime when you see results like this? Any suggestions for our uh, our health policy decision makers? There is, regarding health policy, there are major movements in terms of improving quality of care. And so in some ways, we could consider adding this to the list of things uh, to be measured and tracked over time and fed back to hospitals, providers. So just as another element of quality of care of do you deliver a therapy that you should be doing? The other thing is, do you deliver it equally between major groups, such as men and women? And that would be pretty interesting to see that profile and whether that changed people's practice or hospital care. Have you had any discussions or contact because of this paper with people who are in the policy business? Anybody uh, contact you and say, hey, that's interesting stuff. What should we do? Yeah, sure. So there's a huge interest in terms of so you recognize that the, uh, there is a gap in care. What are the things that you can do to close the gap? And a major interest is to use policy or reimbursement patterns for places that may have uh, major differences in care like this to try to close the gap.
Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting to see. It might be easier to change an individual practice, but we'll see. As we close, uh, Adrian, any uh, last message to the practicing physicians out there, uh, sort of a take-home message for them? I think the major message is that we now have another example where uh, we see an emerging therapy uh, where our clinical trial data is now years old, and we still, one, have underuse of a therapy in those patients who are high risk, and two, there are major differences between uh, men and women. And so we need to do our job in terms of implementing the best evidence quickly as possible and as equally as possible as well. Well, I think that's a good message. I'm going to give us something to chew on for a while. I want to thank Dr. Adrian Hernandez, who's been our guest. We've been talking about implantable defibrillators and whether it's a social and or medical issue. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions at ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library.